Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where we explore the world of hospitality by chatting with its most colorful characters. That's right. Danny, you're looking well. Oh, thank you. Yes. You're back from a trip. Yes. I, uh, when you, uh, first time I saw you after your trip, I noticed you, uh, you looked good. <laughs> That's what a European vacation will do in the summer. Yeah, we were uh, we were actually in Copenhagen, uh, which is where Ellie, my wife, lived for many years. Uh, that's while right. She danced there. Ballet and, dance. Uh, that's right. Ballet, not to be confused with belly. Not that there's anything wrong with any no, sort of no, dance. No, yeah, but ballet. Um, and yeah, you know, on this trip, on the flight back in particular, uh, it made me think about something that I thought you would enjoy talking about. Oh. Which is <laughs> when. The, the seat reclining etiquette. Yeah. Like, I don't, I mean, just me being me, I don't like to recline my seat. Um, but if someone reclines. Because it's an imposition. Yeah. So if someone reclines into me, though, I have to do it. Yeah. Like, it is a domino no, thing. It's a domino thing, 100%. Yeah. And so someone did it to me, and I was like, <sighs> and then I did it to the person behind me, of course. Yeah. And this, this woman that was behind me, like, smacked, like, literally just, like, fist pounded like my headrest in the back <laughs> and i was just like sitting there so uncomfortable i had no idea like i wasn't gonna unrecline it at that point she headrest punched you yeah it was wild oh man and i was like yeah i know it sucks but like this guy did it to me i don't know what to tell you yeah shannon will recline my seat because i think she likes <laughs> to be at the same Symmetry. level yeah she, well or she doesn't want to be the one person yeah and my thing is like i also am very bashful when it comes to reclining oh, my seat 100%. i don't want to impose on somebody and then in my mind, like I'll, I'll start to kind of like, well, I'll just go halfway. Like that's yeah. some sort of compromise. Like Fair the person's enough, yeah. like watching some sort of gauge on how far I've done <laughs> yeah. it. But then I, inevitably I go all the way back. It's um, just, yeah, it's such a tricky thing because they really either all have to be reclined or not. Once one yeah. person does it. There's a device that they little sell space. that where you can effectively lock the seat in front of you from reclining. <laughs> oh, I don't remember where I saw this. I saw it maybe a couple of years ago, but it's like a little oh clip-on thing. And I don't know if it's for a specific seat, but <laughs> it, it is like you are locking the person in front of you. Oh, my God. I think I've it's intended my, for long-legged folks. I've had an aunt, uh, who I won't specifically name, uh, offer hundreds of dollars to the person in front of her to not recline. Wow. I know which, I know which aunt it was, <laughs> especially if she goes, if it's your aunt and not your aunt. <laughs> there's many but uh but yeah i mean what a what a conundrum anyway so yeah another thing i noticed that's kind of relevant to this episode sure uh, that we have coming up a lot of the wine that we had in and around copenhagen or wine that people brought over since we had like an airbnb so we hosted people a few nights um ellie's friends and families and they had a decent amount of residual sugar in wines that here would not like someone brought over a rosé that had like residual sugar in it which is like sweet like a sweet rosé kind mm -hmm. of bizarre and then someone brought an orange wine and i was like oh great orange wine love this and it also had residual sugar in it and what is residual sugar is that sugar that's yeah it's just added? sugar in the wine but yeah just just the fact that so it that had just sugar, does that mean it, it hasn't sweeter. fermented long enough i yeah i'm not uh, i don't want to you know as derek instructed me i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to lie to you um i don't really know the answer to that but, but it's not it's just sugar. wine it's just wine that it was sweet, yeah. like a sweet orange wine, a sweet rosé. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, that's something you could there. maybe have one glass of and then... Yeah, just gnarly. Like, what a fun. weird um, palate distinction for, Is it also for the Danish people, if that's yeah. like a trend. Or if it was just random that we had two different sets of people bring bottles that were sweet wine. 
Is it also true that sugar contributes to hangovers? I mean, I yeah, definitely. Yeah, is that just because I don't know the science? What, it just of wreaks it, but... havoc on your senses. No, I th- oh no, I think it's just that any sugar, like sugary cocktails, sugary. Anything. Yeah, like when you go to a tiki bar, you're I'm always like, oh, I don't know, maybe <laughs> yeah. one, yeah, exactly. Mai Tai, and then no, sugar is definitely else. bad for hangovers. Huh? Anywho. It was not bad for hangovers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, we, it was really great to have uh, Derek in the studio with us. Yeah, extremely charismatic guy who's, who knows a shitload about wine. Yeah, and he can and speak about it really well. And does not make me feel stupid for not knowing about it. Yeah. He's like, he's an egalitarian wine guy, which is really right. cool. Because he has the distinction of being a sommelier, but knows how to distill the information pun intended yeah to be <laughs> palatable for a guy like me who's not necessarily as into wine yeah and he just has like a really interesting way of processing that information which yeah. is kind of what you just said but more how i'm thinking back to something he said like how he kind of categorizes the wines and how he thinks of them and how intentional he is when even, he sets up a menu or a even pairing. when he's talking about how his favorite color and he doesn't have a favorite but like that was that gives you so much yeah. insight into how his brain works and especially in his career so yeah. it was cool. This is a this was a fun one. Yeah. So no more spoilers. No and more without spoilers. further ado, <laughs> here's our conversation with Derek Westbrook. All right. So where are you from? Uh, I was born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. Spent some time in college in Birmingham, Alabama, but Nashville is home. All right, uh, cool. Yeah. How well, often are you back there? Not often enough. Um, uh, it's funny because I think we'll probably get into this, but like been in this industry and like building a business in Chicago, it makes it difficult to go home because mm-hmm. one of the times everyone goes home during the holidays, and that's when you have to be here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, tough. so it's it's tough, but um. It's been nice because recently I've been getting there more, and my parents have been coming here a oh, lot. Cool. And I, I think that's, I kind of enjoy that more than going home. Yeah. Um, because I get to show them the city, they get to just hang out. Like it's a role reversal of how, like, when we were kids, like our parents enjoyed seeing the world through our eyes. Yeah. And now I get to enjoy them seeing Chicago through their eyes. Like I enjoy it seeing that's it cool. through their eyes, and so that's been fun to like have my mom and dad come up here and like. We go places, we eat places, we go to, like, restaurants that I, like, either help open or been a part of, and so, yeah. like, they get to, like, feel kind of cool about it, and so that's... Yeah, VIP. <laughs> yeah. So VIP that, that's been that. really fun, um, and then, like, you know, trying to get them drunk, uh, <laughs> hasn't that worked, worked yet. Uh, uh. My, <laughs> like, my, my mom doesn't really drink at all, and my dad, like, he drinks a little bit, like, yeah. very, very little, uh... But, like, he likes red wine, and, like, you know, I've tried to get him from the drinking, you know, like, random Merlot out of the fridge, right out of the fridge. He likes it super cold. And so, like, like taking him from that place to, like, oh, well, try this, try this, try this. So that's been that's been so much fun. So um, also, so, you know, I do need to lay some ground rules for you guys. Sure, yeah, fair and, enough. And yeah. all the listeners. All right. Uh, one thing is I like to frame a lot, so you'll see a lot of framing, and you'll see a lot of meandering. And my storytelling, because I love storytelling. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, 
you asked me one simple question and I gave you a 45 minute answer. So I just want to no, know. Was, yeah, was the current record. Michael Nagrick holds the current record for longest episode. And it's just over two hours. So. Yeah, well, I, I don't know, I don't know what out. Ray we're doing, but uh, I don't have a heart out. But I know that that was question number one and that definitely took 17 minutes. So, um, is there like a specific agenda for your parents when they come here? Like, hey, we want to hit our favorite this spot, this spot, this spot, or places that you take them to every time they come to visit? Um, like some favorites. It's funny. It's not really favorites because, like, we end up going to places I like, and I'm not a, I'm not super favorites person. Like yeah. my my partner girlfriend, she gets upset at me because like I don't have a favorite color. I have a favorite set of colors. Like I I don't have a like favorite food. I have a favorite things I like to eat. And so like when Wait, it comes what, to, real quick, what's the favorite set of colors? So I like it's like combinations. Yeah, well, like combinations or like how things. I see or the textures that I feel them aesthetically. Hmm. So like I've been really big into like I love like earth tones, like dark oranges, like burnt oranges, purples, like deep reds, burgundies. I love that. But then like I also really like when you have those same colors, but then you do those in like really bright floral notes and like pattern. So that that is, and it just really depends on like mixing patterns and hmm. things of that nature. So um yeah, so those like it's all those I like, I like how seeing the things, the puzzle pieces together more so than like I like this piece, and I think of a singular color or a single food or a single dish as a piece. Yeah, uh, of a puzzle. Yeah, you, know? you like it together. Yeah, and like I like completely. putting it together. Like I like that process more so than like, oh, cool, this one little thing is nice. Yeah, but like, what does it do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How does it interact with other yeah. things? Uh, that's that's cool. the fun part. Yeah, that is cool. So, yeah. I like the color you're wearing. It's one of my favorite colors, actually. Hell yeah. I love this. this. He's wearing the color green. It's yeah. a forest green. Yep. Yes. Love forest green. Yeah, forest green. Uh, and then, like, for wine, right? It's like, oh, green. Well, what type of green? It's forest green. Well, like, is it like late in the season forest green? Or is it like, yeah. oh, the leaves just now, like, starting to come out forest green? And, like, when we talk about wine, which we'll get into, it's like, that's kind of how my brain thinks textures colors and that's what i enjoy so at what point did you know that you had a you know i guess a a special or an elevated palette let's say or that you were interested in wine or following that path or do you have an innate palette or is that something you develop i assume that that takes practice yeah it's both i think like we all like the palette is a muscle like you know anything that you practice you get better at i the moment i found out that i could be pretty good at this was so I was um I was at next restaurant um and I was just you know like I wasn't even a waiter like I was you know back of the house a uh, food runner and I was a cellar manager so basically I would I had the luxury of stocking all the wine setting all the pars and then like if we were tasting with a distributor or a winemaker prepping the table and I get the taste I didn't really get to give input on anything else, but it, I had the luxury of doing all. Yeah, the, you're the around it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was a, I was a seller at like that's what it was, and um, so every so often we would like the whole team, the not just the wine team, but the entire team would taste, um, and it'd be like maybe once or twice a month, and I was studying, studying in the cellar, like looking around, like you know, putting stuff in certain regions, and I would, like I. See something, and I study it. See something, study. See something, study. And I, you know, I was, I think, level one at that time. Not even, maybe. I can't remember. I was level one. And so we had a, we did a blind tasting, and so they picked out three wines. And so poured the first wine, and, you know, I'm still kind of new. I'm, like, maybe a month, month and a half in. And uh, 
And so we taste, and, you know, they ask, okay, what wine is this? And so people go around, people go around. I'm like, no, it's not that. It's not that. And I think I remember, I remember two of the three wines. And I was like, it's not that. It's not that. I was like, man, this tastes, like, this is definitely, like, for me, fruit cup. And every time I think of fruit cup, I think of, like, Kvershmir. But I know it can't be that. And people are just calling things, like, just calling, calling all types of white wines. And I'm like, I think it's Kvershmir. And, like, to the point where no one gets it right, and I'm like, all right, screw it. I'm gonna I'm gonna answer. So I raised my hand. I was like, you know, you know that first yeah. like question. Like your voice is kind of cracking. You're like, yeah. I don't want to like, did you, like a verschemeter. Like you know, I'm a, I'm an adult at this time, but I, I definitely felt 13 year old Derek voice cracking. Yeah, <laughs> and it was like, you know, like yeah, and then everyone's like, oh, like um, and then you know they pass it off as a lucky guess, and I'm like, yeah, it's probably a lucky guess. And then we do the second wine, and I get a little more bold. I'm like, all right, I don't wait to the end. I, in the middle, I say, oh. I, I think it's this, and there's a little more confident. I hit that wine too, and the last one was uh, definitely it was Barolo. And sorry to tell you guys what it is already, but the great thing about it is, by the time we got to the last wine, they were like, "Derek, you can't answer. Let everyone answer first. <laughs> and I was like, "But I know this. I know it. I built the confidence." And so at that moment, when I was level one, and I'd only thought about these things in theory and tasted these things and like put them in my brain for myself, like. Not thinking about the flavor profiles that, you know, when you do a grid, they say, oh, this is what you're going to taste. Like, starting to develop my own kind of understanding of what yeah. these wines meant to me and what they taste like for me. And that moment when I trusted myself and hitting all those wines and, and the ignorance of not knowing what that meant, like, that was the moment, the aha moment. I was like, oh, I could do this for a career. Like, up until that point, it was like, I want to be a server. I want to be in this industry. I like being around wine. I don't really know what is the end goal because I've never seen it. You know, I know what a sommelier is, but I don't know exactly what they do, like, and how to make a living off of that. And was so, there a push from Next when you correctly identified those wines and someone was like, hey, Derek, I actually think, like, you should maybe take this more seriously or do more with this like clearly you have a good enough power who's on the path who's level one yeah i was level one and i think during that time it was like while i was there there was a lot of like so the way they push you the way they tell you good job is they give you more right (laughs) like oh okay oh you're good at this well go try this (laughs) like try something harder and i'm like okay great and so it was a lot of that and getting more responsibility and like you know like i think I think I may have poured wine at the table once, like, as a back waiter. And so, like, being able to, like, taste the wines and, like, being able to, when they're changing a menu or making suggestions, being, like, in those conversations more was the benefit. That was the kind of the feather in the cap. And so that was the moment I realized I could do this. And and then, like, you know, probably, like, six to nine months later, I quit. And I was like, I'm going to start my own wine business (laughs) because that was the logical step. Yeah. The illogical, logical step. So by the time you left next, what was your role? Uh, so I was still a backwaiter. I mean, not backwaiter. I was actually slated to move up to backwaiter. Um, I was still a food runner. But I got in this opportunity. I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. And I didn't want... It was like, okay, become a captain. And I was like, well, I could stay here and work through becoming a captain. And like learn the things but I really enjoyed the kitchen like and I'm I already had charisma and I, like I was around it in the space enough but it just wasn't there was something there was an itch that was like oh this is dope this is cool I could do this like I'm drinking the Kool-Aid but I want to like 
try like try it on my own and the other thing too is i went through like a minor minor uh was it a quarter life eighth life crisis <laughs> yeah it's like i was working way too much um and my girlfriend and i broke up and i was like why am i doing this like i'm working but i'm not enjoying like the days off because i you know i spent the day recovering we have yeah. two days off i spent one day recovering yep. and the other day like getting my life together and then it was back on the ground and that wasn't sustainable for me at the time um and i had other ambitions i just didn't know what they were and so that itch kind of pushed me in that direction so yeah yeah the way i always used to describe it to people is that a nine to five or they get after work to kind of decompress and then go to bed but for us in the industry it's like you don't get to it's like you don't decompress before work no it doesn't you haven't worked yet yeah exactly so it's like but that's your time to decompress in anticipation of a shift and then you work the shift and you go to bed there's no decompression no. that happens it doesn't make any sense and the, and the other thing too is like i knew like i like i still have dreams of ticket times and table turns like in my head like that still happens mm. like now like very few and far between but that's what it was at yeah, a certain point for sure and i think like People always talk about, like, balance and et cetera, et cetera. But I think, like, as controversial as it sounds, I think that that was important. It was nice to know and feel what that was like and mm -hmm. be able to know that I could operate at that level and, like, be able to make the decision, like, okay, I could do this or I could not. But I, I know I can. Yeah, I know you're I'm capable, capable of it. Right? Yeah. And, like, and I saw that there was room for growth. But I was like, okay, but do I want to grow in this way? And it just wasn't the thing I wanted to do. Like, it wasn't my path. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, this was great. This was a great experience. Let me try to do something else. And, you know, I did, and, and it called me back. <laughs> real, real quick yeah. on the topic of Next before we move on. So people who don't know Next, it's a linear group restaurant. They change the menu every three months. Yeah. So it's like a quarterly menu, and it's a very specific theme. Yes. Um, so how how does the wine program work for that? Like how how far in advance are you guys putting together the program, and how do what's the um, I guess what are you trying to do with those pairings? Yeah, I think so. I mean, sh as soon as the menu's done, like I think after so after friends and family, and after like the first one or two weeks, I think chefs already working on the new menu, and so we're not far behind because we know what it is, so we kind of mm -hmm. know like what the themes are, and so like. Like, I remember, like, when we were getting ready for Bistro, like, you kind of understand. So, there's, like, sometimes you're just tasting generally because you're, like, okay, I know some of the kind of wines that I want to be involved with. And so, like, I spent a lot of time, like, just going to industry tastings and tasting the things that would probably fall in line with Bistro, right? So, like, a lot of French food, right? And, like, thinking about, like, okay, what are they drinking and eating around Toulouse and, like, what are, what are we experiencing? And so, like just on my own going to industry tasting and tasting on that so you're kind of like i think of it like preseason, like warming up getting familiar with the avenue and then and then you move on to i think like let's see it's funny because it feels like we started tasting like a month maybe two months in or maybe a month and a half in that you start tasting for particular for things for the next menu and you're you kind of have it locked in sometimes as early as like a couple of weeks before um and then because you because you know when we close we close for you know it feels like two days but <laughs> it's more than <laughs> but when you close like you're working on marks you're working on pours you're working on you know now i think they have like three levels but like used to we only had two types we had the the two tastings and so like during that period of time you're 
you're moving so fast that you're like kind of deciding, okay, I think we're gonna do this. I think we're gonna do that. And I also like never got to see the total inside because I wasn't, I wasn't really. My opinion wasn't. It wasn't that it wasn't invaluable. It was just like I was a novice. I was. You gotta watch it first, mm-hmm. and then you get to do it. And so like I watched them do it, and I saw like it felt like one day we were all like kind of deciding and like tasting things and kind of picking things and talking, and then it felt like. Two days later, they had it, the menu in their head, and they had an idea of what the wine list was going to be. And that was always impressive. Um, and it was always felt something about that felt magical. And then fast forward, I didn't understand what that meant or what that felt like until I you know, was a beverage director at Elizabeth's. And so to answer your question, it, it felt like we started, the chef would start literally, I think, after friends and family, like once the menu was kind of people kind of got a feel for it. So like within a week, maybe two weeks, chef would start working on the menu. He would like sneak downstairs and just like start playing with things and and like we would either see him working with things or taste things. And I remember that like using some of that time to like again going to taste that uh, industry tastings and just having it. And sometimes like some of it comes through osmosis. It's like you're tasting these wines, you're thinking about this. And then you can just see components, and you're like, okay, it's this one. I think this, I think it's going to be one of these two. I think it's going to be one of these two. And so, so it's really, really narrowing it down. Like, yeah, you, your, you, you see start, what the options are, yeah, and then you're like, you this start is. very, very broad. Yeah, and very broad for the concept, right? Like the nice thing about bistro is, it, as broad as it is, it gets you kind of really lean into what you what you're gonna do. But it's really nice because you're like, okay, well. Let's think about all the things. And then when you start to, like, read about the culture, when you think about the idea of, like, Bistro being super fast-paced, so you think about, okay, well, what are they, you know, like, Bistro is kind of peasant food in a way. And so it's like, okay, well, how do we, if we're eating peasant food, what are we going to be drinking? Like, are we always drinking crew this or crew that, or are we drinking, like, really, really dope, like, what was one? I can't remember because it's 2015. But like, <laughs> but like, are we drinking like Cru Beaujolais or are we drinking like stuff that's like really, really yummy and super approachable? And how do we also do that? But understanding that people are paying a really nice dollar for these pairings. So like, how do you give them value? But tell the story about where you're from and tell the story about Bistro. And so that's one of the things that I really appreciated from just being there and watching and never ever actually getting to do it. Um but I took those lessons with me when I ultimately had to do it on my own, which yeah. is a lot of fun. So. You mentioned the high <clears throat> high price point. So like a fixed menu, like next, you know, you're paying a couple hundred dollars at three hundred dollars. Yeah. The pairing is maybe almost that much if you're going. Yeah, like you're a, a little pairing. under. Like you're like I remember pairings one ninety five, two hundred, three hundred. It can yeah. get up there, um, and then like and then like there's sometimes the supplements you can bump out stuff and so yeah. So I remember what's it. Like, for Bistro, oh, I remember Bistro. Like, we did, like, OA Chateau Beau Castel. Like, you know, like, you're you're talking about some really, really dope wines. And so, like, thinking about, like, okay, how do we give value? And you got to do some ball of wines, but then, like, are you just going to do all big-name crew stuff? Like, Mm -hmm. then that kind of gets, oddly enough, boring. Yeah. Because you're like, 
Okay. And you want to flex like your knowledge yeah. of the other one. Like, yeah. Like I know you have a hundred mile an hour fastball. You're just gonna throw the hundred mile an hour fastball <laughs> every time. Like, like yeah. we get it. But if you throw that change up once in a while, yeah. like that's yeah, cool. That's, effective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's sometimes even more effective because yeah. you don't know it's coming. You're yeah, not thinking. It's more anymore. memorable probably yeah, in that lineup. So from a business perspective, if the food and beverage uh-huh. are somewhat comparable for revenue, I would imagine the margins are much better on the beverage, the beverage right? Because there's no labor really going into that other than yeah, so like, pouring. So let's talk about, so I can give you better context when it comes to Elizabeth. Because so Elizabeth, so I left next, um, started my like wine business, um, and it lasted like six to nine months, I think nine months, which is... Uh, six months longer than it should have because i like <laughs> what was the wine business so it was yeah. i was just building wine menus for restaurants and bars sure, and like doing tastings like consulting yeah. like just doing like oh i want to do this but i don't want to like i want to work less or like i don't want to have to i want to have some balance and i'd always had this entrepreneur spirit and then i realized really quickly that you're working more. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that is a common misconception. I think yeah. all three of us as business owners can say, yeah. We, yeah. you think, before you started, you're like, yeah. I'll be my own yeah, boss. Yeah, this is great. great. I choose my hours. Yeah. It uh, doesn't. It no never chance. works yeah, like not, that. No, 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 no. Until it grows. Yeah. 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 You got to get it to scale. a point. Yeah, yeah. And you're comfortable delegating. <laughs> yeah. But it's way more stressful. 100%. Yeah. So, um, so, like, so that... That didn't work, and I went to to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth, I became the beverage director there, and so that's where, like thinking about the margins, that's where I kind of learned on the fly how to think about the margins. So thinking about, okay, so we did Lord of the Rings menu, and so when you're thinking about that menu, you're like, okay, we got eight courses. Do we want to do a pairing for each course? Do we want to do a carryover pairing? And then, for us at Elizabeth. The thing that I couldn't do that we could do that we used to do at Nexus, I couldn't buy all the baller wines because either Alenia will buy them all, Next will buy them all, and so like, well, that's the new hot wine, but I can't get it because they bought all of it. <laughs> <laughs> and in other cases, it's like, yo, I like, I'm not sure. Or we're gonna do the numbers to be able to like justify trying right. to bring like in if you huge numbers. yeah if you swing and miss or you buy a lot of a wine and that pairing doesn't sell and yeah you're, you're like all this crazy wine yeah, you feel and, bad and then not only do you feel bad but because I mean the dirty little secret is like the beverage program actually is what keeps most businesses afloat and with a you know. We had twenty two seats, right? Like Yeah. So with, how much can you consume in twenty two seats? Exactly. And so like with that, like also like those mistakes get magnified. Like if I make a mistake and it's a twenty two seater and like this wine doesn't sell or these pairings don't sell or we overpour that much, like that's somebody's like that's somebody's job is gone. Or that's yeah. you know, that's four months where it's tight. And, and the parents had to be more conservative for the next however long. And now, now you can't create. And now you're you're diminishing the quality that you're giving the next patron because yeah. you were an idiot, exactly. you know, three yeah. months ago. And so, um, the the it taught me a lot about thinking about okay, how do we set our margins and how do we create value. So that's kind of where I found my wine voice was a lot at Elizabeth because I couldn't out baller you when it came to wine. What I could do is out cool you. So then mm-hmm. that's why, that's how I started falling in love with Central Eastern Europe. You know, yeah. wines from Austria, Slovenia, Croatia. And then even, like, stuff from the Canary Islands. Like, 
I ran through so much Canary Island wine mm-hmm. during that period of time because it was interesting and it was unique. And Chef's food lends itself. Like, you know, Elizabeth, Chef Reagan, like, forged. And so, like, when you think about those, like, notes and tones and and Chef had a, like, a delicate touch when it came to food. It wasn't, like, just heavy, heavy, knock you over the head, mm-hmm. which people, like, underestimate, like, what it takes to be able to have that level of intentionality and create beauty in that type of space because, like, we always think bigger is better. Yeah. But there's something about, like, a a level of intentionality that she had that was absolutely beautiful. So, like, I couldn't do wines that were super huge because the food wasn't super huge. Yeah, you find subtle. So, like, how do I find excitement and interest without knocking overhead with something that's huge? Well, okay, now we're doing wines that have, like, you know, reds that have a slight chill on them or something like we're doing yeah. frappatos. We're doing stuff that's, like, interesting and cool. We're doing, like, maybe if we're going to Sardinia, like, we're trying, like, bright, high-acid stuff. Or we're trying, you know, whites that have some richness but are not over the top. And so that that was kind of how I found my voice. And then when you, when we start to get into, like, how, do, how does that make money? Well, okay, I'm finding you're not paying for the cost of the bottle. You're actually paying for my ability to find something that no one else is finding. And it made me have to be even better at pairings. And, like, it taught me how to look at pairings. And so now when I look at pairings, I don't, like, I look at the protein. I look at, but for me, the most important thing is, like, how it's prepared, like, the preparation. So, like, for instance, like, if you do, what's a great one? So what I'll do for a pairing is I'll take, chef would send me over the like the dish so she'll send over like what is it all of the components to it how those components are whether it's sous vide or it's uh you know whether it's seared whether it is you know reduced in something or i think one classic one is like chef like if you use a roll like that's salt for me so like i start to color code all these things like okay this is acid this is fat and then like is this a green acid or is this a yellow acid? Like, is this a like is this fat a red, dark fat or is this more of a pink fat? And those colors are weights and textures. And so then looking at that, I start to have a feel for weight and texture of what that dish is. And mm. so now when I go taste the wine, I'm not tasting a wine for grape varietal or region. I'm tasting for weight and texture. So like I'll say, oh, I need wines that have this weight and texture, and. Over time, as you're learning and studying about region and Appalachian, you start to know that, oh, these regions and Appalachians lend themselves to certain weights and textures. Like, warmer climate typically is going to be riper, so you're going to get a little bit more richness. So, like, you might get a little bit more alcohol presence. Are they picking early or are they picking late? So, like, are they getting sneaking acid in there? So, like, how does that wine find its balance in itself? And then how does that wine's balance find itself in the dish, in the component? And then I concept of, like, how does the wine taste? Because... You know, you go pour, and then you so you mark glass pour, and then food comes, and then the wine needs to last through the through that dish. So it's like, hey, you're tasting the wine, so I need to know how it tastes when it hits the table. Still has to has to has to pass the yummy test when it hits the table, and then it has to pair with the food, and then it has to set you up for the next course, yeah. right? Because like you you could drink water in between, but it still has to be a flow, and so doing all of that work really really was like a crucible for learning how to like build my own understanding of what building a menu looks like and being building a menu in service of the food in service of the chef in service of the guests 
And then within all that service, how do I become as creative as I can be? How do I get my thing off? Like mm-hmm. I like how do I tell that story? <clears throat> so it's like everyone I have to serve everyone else. And then there's a story I want to tell with the wine. But how can that story be in service of the guests, the food, the experience, and the budget? And yeah. so that's that's the fun part and that I, that's one of the things that like I loved about doing that work and and just playing around with the numbers and and just trying to be one percent better every day you know what i mean yeah what was the like target blended bev cost at next versus an elizabeth so i don't know the target blended bev cost at next because i wasn't oh fair enough enough. so like i think what we would do is so i can tell you like what we do like x times which i'm i'm I'm, well elizabeth's not there anymore so (laughs) so for (laughs) i know i was thinking like maybe they don't want to know it doesn't exist so like so i'll tell you that so like everyone does like four times markup is kind of like what you do 25 percent so well what i would do for i probably ran like 50 on the pairings i probably ran like 15 percent. so what i would do is i would take the pairing and say okay well we need to do four times and then I say, well, how much we're pouring two to three ounces? So how much is it per ounce? So let's just we we'll use whole numbers. So let's say it's a dollar an ounce. I was like, okay, it's a dollar an ounce. Let me multiply that ounce times like six because I, I'm gonna I'm probably gonna overpour a little bit, and I'm also like I'm gonna overpour and I'm worried about waste because we yeah. close on we close on Sunday, so Monday Tuesday. Yeah, wine dies. Yeah, what's the shelf life of an open bottle of wine? So. Let's do red. So if we're doing red, um, there's a, it moves, but I'm going to tell you what I go by. Is I open a bottle of red, um, and we're assuming that we're going to drink it, we're going to pump it, right, and store it in the fridge. So I'm a three to five day max. Five day is if the wine is just like bulletproof and it can stand up. Um, three days if the wine is like older typically, and like if it's a more delicate, softer wine. Then I'm going to like three days, that but that's pumping it, no air in the fridge, so it's not getting any light, not getting any oxygen, et cetera, et cetera. No heat, of course. And so white wine, four to seven. Um, again, it depends on age of the wine. It depends on acidity, sugar. Sugar gives you a little bit more time. Yep. Um, alcohol helps a little bit, so it, it just depends. But I say three to five for red. I like to lean three. Four to seven for white. I like to lean four, um, and that's kind of where I want to live. But it it never really happens that much at home, uh, <laughs> especially like when I'm opening bottles. It's usually I don't really drink at home unless there's like people over and like me and my girlfriend. Well, we we hardly ever drink at home together, which is weird. We only drink when we're hosting, and so if we open something, it is most of the time, like if we don't finish it, I like to send people with it because it's like, oh, just have it. I'm yeah. not going to do it. Like there's a bottle. Uh, Wait, when you say you don't drink together at home, if it's just you two, are you just not drinking period or you're just drinking They go to separate things? bedrooms. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 we drink it in separate places. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, and then like sometimes if I have to write or like if I'm building a menu, I'll drink like I'll, I'll like, but then it's like I'm having like bourbon on the rocks. Like I'm just, Got it. I just need something to like take the edge off. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, it's like you know whiskey or an edible. Uh, <laughs> like which one am I gonna do to get this this thing done? Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of where we are for uh, like service. It's like I'm at home. I'm not drinking unless it's like I have something I need to do, or it's you know we have a lot of family that likes to come over, and I like sending them home because like we have right now I have a Marsan Rusa. Yeah, I have Marsan Rusa 
2014 that's been in the fridge for literally six days white wine and like i'm pouring it out because it's 14 it's not gonna like it was supposed to be drank that night or maybe the next day yeah um which you know sucks but it's like i'm not gonna finish it you guys finish it and i'm sure you have no shortage of wine to drink yeah but that, it still hurts though <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, a tasty, versatile spirit. Created in Chicago in 2012, the product was born out of a need for a bespoke iteration of the Old Tom style, which is the slightly sweeter predecessor to London Dry. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin carries classic notes of orange peel, juniper, and coriander while balancing on a subtle floral edge thanks to the addition of osmanthus blossoms. Its elevated proof is suitable in cocktails or unadorned. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, complete your bar. Let's talk wine yeah. tastes real quick. We're yeah. like, you're at a restaurant, uh-huh. you order a bottle of wine, server comes, pours a little bit, you swirl it around. You pre- I'm talking about me. Yeah. Danny has wine knowledge. I don't. I'm not a big wine drinker. Yeah. But, you know, then they hand you, if they, they assume, first they like measure, like, it seems like this guy might be paying for the meal. So <laughs> is, is it, it's like, do you give it to the person who orders it or the person you assume is paying for the meal? I no, don't know. I think it's who, oh, well, yeah. So let's do this. Let's. Uh, so I'm gonna again. This is great because I'm gonna give you one of the patented long answers. So <laughs> the great thing about like, so the way I got started in the wine industry as I worked at a small Italian restaurant, I realized that I could make more money selling glasses of wine than I could selling cocktails because it takes the bartender longer to make a cocktail than it does a glass of wine, and that means I can get to the second glass of wine faster. That means I'm getting my tables turned faster. All the beautiful things, and wine feels elevated. Uh, air quotes for everyone uh, <laughs> and then um, and then I was like yo if I sell bottles I can I'm only spending I'm spending more time at the table for a moment but I can get a full I can get everyone to drink one glass and then I'm on to the second bottle because if you got four top and everyone's having a glass and oh if anyone wants a second glass well you know I top everyone up and then now there's no more Everybody should get a second glass. Yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. So let's get another bottle. Um, and the great thing about that is what happens is, is if I can sell you a bottle, then I've proven my value as a, as a server because I've walked up to you, I've assessed your needs and wants, and I found something that everyone can agree on, which is like, how do you do that when everyone's going out to dinner, right? That's tough. Mm-hmm. It's tough. And so well, I was working at a small Italian restaurant while in college, and I was an English and sociology major. So... Like, like the communication and understanding how people work. And so, and, you know, I took the like structural functional approach from, uh, from sociology. And so looking at that, I was like, okay, well, we have this table. You may be, one person may be, you know, buying, but we're celebrating another person. So who's the lead? It's the person that we're celebrating. They make the decision. Or it could be, you know, classic husband and wife and like, the husband's like, oh, I just want to drink whatever the, the wife wants to drink. Or, like, she's di- dictating. Or it's like, oh, we're celebrating one of our kids. Or, like, I want to give a new experience to a friend or a partner. So the, the, to answer your question is, the way you know who is in charge is you have to, like, read the room. You have to mm-hmm. kind of walk the table, ask questions what I ask him. Body language is super key. Like, who's leaning forward? It's almost like poker. It's like, all right, if they're leaning forward, they probably have a terrible hand. If they're leaning back, they probably have a good hand because they're comfortable. And it's like, just where are everybody's hands? 
who's like reaching for the the menu yeah. or like who's fidgeting for the glass or like who's already turned the glass upside down like who's and all these different things or even when they walk in who arrives first right mm. or like when people arrive are they do they look like they're waiting on someone or or are they everyone arrives like we'll just start without them all those small yeah, little things tell you and so it's a case by case basis and you know doing it so often you start to learn it's like oh people They'll give you the answers. There's yeah. two things people do. People love talking about themselves. That's why, <laughs> why podcasts work, right? <laughs> people love talking about themselves. And, like, if you let people sit enough, they will give you the cues and the answers by their body language, by how yeah. they're moving in the space. And so um, I would say, like, you know, if we're talking to, like, other industry people, it's just, you know, listen more, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's listen with your eyes and your ears and your senses. And so I think that's the best way to know how to navigate a table, how to navigate a room. Uh, but, like, if you're just, like, if you're a consumer, I think the consumer answer is, like, I think, you know, curiosity leads if you're a consumer. Like, consumers are often afraid to ask questions because they don't want to look stupid. But it's funny because the thing we want you to do is ask questions because oftentimes if you don't ask questions, that's when you start to look stupid. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's mm-hmm. often time when you, you look ignorant and like, and ignorant from a standpoint of like, oh, I'm going to try to fake my way around it. And when it's, it's okay to be like, I don't know. Like, like when you ask me about next, like, I don't know. I have yeah, no yeah. clue about like what the pressure is. I have no clue. Or answering it from a perspective of what you can answer. Like, okay, I know how I think about this problem. So I'm going to answer it in the way that I understand it, and then maybe if we commune together, we can find what the solid ground is or what the answer is together. And I think, like, that's the key, and I think that's what I want consumers to understand. And that's kind of how I, like, frame the way I talk and teach wine is empowering the consumer to be able to have a level of curiosity and to trust their palates. Yeah, I mean, I think it's clear you have a good idea of hospitality and you yourself are, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, are hospitable. Um, I think... In a lot of situations, people feel uncomfortable because, you know, you get a vibe, just like a server's evaluating you. Sometimes you get the vibe from a server that, like, they don't want to be bothered. They're oversat. They're too busy. They're going to judge you for asking a question, whatever the situation may be. So just, it can be tough. Like, I guess to just defend, like, Tim in a situation or someone, (laughs) someone in a situation, like, if you don't know what's going on or what the menu is or what you should be looking for and the server, like, yeah, it's just tough. Like, if yeah. the hospitality isn't there, that's, that's like, how do you navigate at that yeah. point? People, oh, man, that hurts a little bit, though. <laughs> Think about it. No, like, but you've been in places where there's always, like, high hospitality and people yeah. care a lot. Yeah, and, I, like, I think teaching it, too. Like, I think we have to do a better job um, as industry folk of training um, and training from, like, a place of humanity. Like, yeah. hey, I want you to learn these things and explain to them why outside of you're just going to make more money, but you're going to enjoy this more. And this adds real value. Um, you know, like, and there's a thing, like, and so everybody's not going to be a professional server, right? Everybody's not going to be a sign, but like, how can this experience actually add value? And, and when you find out that why and you train from that perspective, or you find out the perspective of your employees and, then you start to be like, oh, okay, now everybody's bought in in a different way. So, yeah. But yeah, man, that's, that's 
Yeah, we don't have to get it. I mean, no, no, it was just yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, just, uh, I ran the whole but TV like, series on that topic. Oh man, that's but wild. my my question about yeah, the about the tasting yes. was like, so I'm I'm an idiot. I know that. I like, wouldn't it make sense for you to taste the wine? Like, what are you essentially tasting? Is, is am I tasting when you get the little pour? Are you tasting like, oh yeah, I want this whole bottle, or are you tasting to see if it's good? So, what, what is that taste? Is it just it seems like it's kind of a mindless. Um, it has become mindless. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can we just do away not, with it? I think it's more of a smell thing. Yeah. And I don't really ever taste it. It's more like you are just checking to see if there are any uh, flaws. faults. Yeah, I think it's really a test line. to see if the the patron is an asshole or not. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And <laughs> I think is, yeah. I think too, like the the pomp and circumstance around it around it again, like eliminates the thing that we're trying to do like we've spent so much time like we've spent so much time like doing a thing doing a dance yeah we don't even know why we're doing the dance and we don't actually explain or talk about it so i'll tell you so i'm gonna do two things um i'm gonna frame which i just framed uh (laughs) and then and then i'm gonna meander and then we'll get there i promise so (laughs) two things one is is I'm going to tell the consumer right now. So if you're a consumer, um, I'm going to tell you right now about, like, why we do this dance. And then I'm going to talk. I'm going to let you listen inside. And I'm going to talk to uh, industry folk. And I'm going to get on my soapbox and yell at the industry people. Cool? All right. So. <laughs> All right. I'll be the consumer. Dan is the yeah. industry guy. <laughs> All right. So, so here we go. So as a consumer, when you walk up to a table and you order a wine, and so they bring you the bottle. They present you the bottle. They present you the bottle so they can, so you can know that oh, this is what I ordered, right? Like I'm bringing you the thing that you yeah, asked check for. The just vintage, confirm. Check yeah. the name. We're just confirming. Mm-hmm. So we're just, hey, you asked for this. I'm giving you this, which is actually really great communication, which we should all do. It's like it's almost like repeating back what you said to me, so we know we're, we're together. Yeah. And then so. I open it, and the reason why it's important to open it in front of you is historically, so it goes into why the cork is being presented. So the reason why I'm opening in front of you and presenting a cork is, is it used to be there was a point in time where people would take wine, so like they would use, they'd sell an expensive bottle of wine, they'd keep the bottle, and they'd take cheap wine and pour it in that bottle and then resell that bottle. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't see them open it and show you the cork, Right then, you don't know that it's a way to know that the wine is what the wine is. Cool. And so what, what what are you looking for on the cork? So now, so once you see that, oh, this bottle actually came out of this cork, like this, this is a fresh pool. Great. Now, once you look at the cork, usually you want to. The cork can tell you some things, but you just want to make sure that the cork did its job. And what is the cork's job? Really great question. So, <laughs> the cork's <laughs> job is to make sure that. Not too much oxygen gets in the wine, right? And you want the cork to stay moist because a moist cork expands in the bottle and thus protects it. Protects it, correct, right? So you don't. So you're gonna have some oxygen exchange, but it's very, 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 very minute. It's called aging, right? But you don't want a lot of oxygen exchange, and you don't want um, you don't want the wine to what we call corked. And so it's a bacteria that gets into the wine that makes it corkless. I always call it. <laughs> I always mess up and call it THC, but it's TCA. <laughs> like THC, no, you don't want That's that. a different wine. Yeah. 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 You don't want that in your wine either. Mm-hmm. I've had some, it's not good. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't imagine. Oh, it's bad. So so what you're doing is you're so like usually if the cork has a little bit of kind of like sponge to it, it's nice because you know, okay, the the liquid has a 
the liquid has been in contact with the cork, so then the cork has expanded a little bit, and so now you're not going to get too much oxygen exchange. Great. So that's all you're looking for. People smell the cork, and you can smell a cork, and people are like, oh, this wine smells corked. Well, you just smelled a cork. Yeah. <laughs> like, sure. And people think, like, corked means it smells like a cork. No. You, it's the TCA. Or in the, what, is, what does that smell like? Another great question. So Thanks. wet dog. <laughs> simply, <laughs> like they always say, like wet dog, wet cardboard is super, super like mm. classic. And if it smells like wet cardboard, then your cardboard, you're like, uh. And then we talk about like, oh, it may blow off. So like part of the swirling is for the wine to open up. Sometimes it helps it blow off. And when we talk about swirling, I think about, think about when you wake up in the morning. You wake up in the morning. And, you know, once you get to a certain age, you wake up and you're stiff and you're sore. And so swirling the wine is the version of you stretching in the morning. Yeah. It's to get your blood flowing so you can be your best self, right? It's like drinking a wine without, like, allowing it to open up sometimes is almost like, hey, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go run a quick mile. Not going to stretch, right? <laughs> Imagine what that's like for us at this age. Now, you know, <laughs> back when we were younger, maybe we could do that. Yeah. Right now, nah. Uh-uh. <laughs> And it's I feel like you learn over time which scents blow off. Like, yeah. like I for me, sulfur is like the one sulfur that blows the one that off. Always blows off. And then there's other ones though that you're like, like this nope, is not this is blow not. Off. Yeah. yeah. And then like you get like that and not blow off. Like bread, like bread is just like bread of my seeds. Like that one, you're like, I don't know about this guy. This one. And sometimes like a little bread can be cool, but like all the cool kids are into it because of natural wine and all that yeah. stuff. But like I want my wine to be like. Technically good, but that's another. <laughs> yeah, another, that's another. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's another two-hour podcast. But anyway, so back to you, the the consumer. So, so you're looking at the cork. You're um, so you're just looking at the cork to make sure like there's a little bit of like sponginess to it, which is nice. It's not really necessary to smell the cork because what are you gonna do? You're gonna smell the wine. That's gonna give you more information than smelling mm-hmm. the cork. So you smell it. Um, sulfur, so sulfur, like when we talk about, like think lit match, right? So like that may blow off over time, and then what you're tasting the wine for is two things. You can, I'm a firm believer that you taste the wine to see that if it's sound, like does it taste like it's supposed to taste. Now, you're not tasting to see if it's sound for like, um, oh, is this vintage taste like this vintage? Because you may not know, especially if you're trying a new wine. Like, mm-hmm. I have an understanding of what I'm expecting from a wine because I know region appellation sub-appellation and sometimes like vintage markers i know that and so like i can i can have a pretty good expectation of what the wine should be showing right and showing what is showing and you're asking a lot of great questions (laughs) (laughs) so showing is like is the wine showing its best is the wine like expressive in the way it should be expressive for this wine this region this vintage that is a thing that's a little tougher to be able to identify unless you've had a lot of those wines, unless you're super familiar. Cool. I just want you to taste the wine and say, is it yummy or no? Do you like it? Right? And does it taste like or smell like wet cardboard or wet dog? Those are the three things I need to answer. And if it answers those three things, then you're fine. Okay. And a lot of times there's a lot of stress because you have people looking at you, you have the server looking at you, you have the table looking at you. And like what I always tell people is like, hey, before you taste, take a deep breath. And also realize that your palate is absolutely right. Right? So there's this exercise I do with people is when we're doing a tasting, I'm doing a class or anything, or just even with sometimes with my psalms because I have to remind them, I like, close your eyes. All right, oh, I'm going to do this for you guys. This is going to be great. So I want you to close your eyes, right? 
closed. And, and think about an argument you had with your spouse or business partner or just a random person on the street, and you knew you were right, right? And you knew within yourself you were right. Cool? Everybody found that moment? I'm feeling indignant. <laughs> <laughs> right? Now open your eyes. And now say, I'm right on three. One, two, three. I'm right. Fucking right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so now... That's the perspective I tell everyone, especially people who are drinking wine, early young wine drinkers, is like, that's the perspective you need to have about wine. Whatever you taste, whatever your personal sensory sensory perceptions of that wine is absolutely right. My job isn't to change or to tell you what to taste. Yeah, it's perfectly subjective. My job is to get you to be able to articulate what you taste, what's already inside you. Because if I can get you to articulate what's already inside you, then I can get you to the place of you finding the thing that you want. And I think a lot of times when we talk about wine, and this is kind of me yelling at at you, (laughs) is be like, yo, stop telling people you have to drink this, you have to drink that, or this is good or this is bad, based on your subjective feelings, right? No, tell them, hey, this is what I'm experiencing, and these are the reasons why I'm experiencing them. Like, give them the language to be able to speak for themselves because a more knowledgeable populace will be a better buying populace. So now I don't have to just sell Cab, Merlot, Pinot Noir, Savion Blanc. Like, I don't have to sell those 10 grape varietals we all see. There's over 300-plus grape varietals in Italy alone, and you want me to sell 10? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, you want me to sell 10 of the international varietals? No, I want to sell everything. Well, the only way I can sell you everything is is to be able to empower you to be able to explore and then that's where the curiosity comes in is hey taste for curiosity try things that you may not like try things and and knock your head on stuff i i I like i always say like we have this so i have a six-year-old nephew me and my girlfriend have a six-year-old nephew um and he likes to run and jump and we find ourselves be like no stop don't and Part of that's curiosity. Part of that's freedom. Like, he wants to, like, spill things and bang things. And you're like, I just want silence and peace. <laughs> <laughs> but the realization is, is they're exploring the world. And we lose that as we become adults. And part of losing that is we get told that you can't explore, that you have to think in this very pigeonhole manner. And if we free ourselves from that and allow us to have this kind of exploratory nature, along with trusting our palate, and being able to take in the information, then we can actually enjoy wine. And now when you walk up to the table and you take that deep breath and say, I'm right, and you taste the wine, if it's yummy, then you say, oh, it's cool. And if it's not, then you can say, I don't like it. And my job is to give you the language to be able to say why you don't like it. And that makes, that feels better. And that's a better conversation. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. What what happens when somebody rejects a wine doesn't like a wine i mean obviously it's hospitality you're there to make them have the right experience what happens to that wine is that just enjoyed by the staff no it's tough yeah you don't want it because it's it's bad but i'm saying if in the event that they're not right 
Oh, like yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it. Yeah. like it passes yeah. the yeah. expert's yeah. test, but yeah. not necessarily the yeah. idiot consumer. Like we'll, me. we'll, we'll drink it. We might try to special it. Like I'll go to the bartender and be like, yo, you know, they brought Maybe this bottle back as far. Yeah. Yo, make it, uh, you know, I want to make my money back, so, like, let's do a, you know, whatever the cost is, was like, maybe a little under. I just want to break even at that point, mm-hmm. because it's going to be a loss, and it's going to be harder to sell. Like, off-menu is tougher to sell, so you're like, you're like, oh, maybe instead of the glass being the cost of the bottle, I'll do, like, you know, half that, or, you know, normally I'm supposed to sell this at a $14 glass, I'll do it at 10 I'm just trying to get rid of it. I don't want to eat that yeah. bottle. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we would do in that, in that scenario. Um, yeah, probably, depending on when in the night it happened. Like, yeah. if it happens at the end of service, then, then you're like, the yeah, staff's yeah, drinking it. Yeah, the staff's drinking it. Do either of you guys service. have fun stories about people turning down wine or in, I'm sure in grand fashion? I mean, there's been... I mean, next I've seen some some things come back and I'm like, yo. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, like, no. Because like, the other thing, too, is like people, you know, like steakhouses and uh, and like, you know, like... Uh, tasting menus if people are just buying bottles like a lot of times sometimes people are doing it for status mm-hmm. or like there's this like they want to have the thrill of turning away a bottle like that person <laughs> it's on my bucket list you know, it's <laughs> but like there's something yeah, they want to like, flex and be, yeah. just make it seem oh, like they know what they're talking oh my about. gosh and you can't I would assume fine dining attracts this archetype <sighs> yeah <laughs> and you can't like you. the other thing is you can't like be like you're yeah, an idiot. Right, yeah, right, like, oh, right. Okay. Your hands are tied. I guess I'll drink this later. Yeah, I know. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, what are some funny service stories, I guess, from Nex or Elizabeth or wherever? I mean, Italian restaurant? I mean, I remember we had, uh, uh, I think at Nex we had, um, it wasn't the, it wasn't a, I think it was one of the, the reason why I think I remember Bo Castell is that, so we had, we did a, we had 08, 13, 2005, or 2000. I remember somebody ordered a bottle, and I think it was, I want to say it was 08, that, like, they didn't like, and it was, and the thing about the 08 was, like, there was some times where you were like, man, it could, but they, they house them really well, so it was like, I'm not worried about it, but, like, that bottle can be a little finicky sometimes. When you start to get up in age, you're like, everything is not going to be perfect every time. But I remember I had, like, Probably a half a glass of the old five old Castell because like some swinging D, like <laughs> wanted to send it back. <laughs> you're like, okay, and it's like part of us is like, this is why we charge you this much for these. Like, it's to cover your yeah, idiot these people, like, yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like yes, we put a little sauce on the price point because we have to in order to we like have to cover this. Yeah, like it's just yeah. like. If you could be a human being, this would be cheaper. But you want to be a jerk, so guess what? Like, yeah. I'm going to be a jerk, too. Yeah, so like I have that's... to hedge myself against your... Oh, my yeah. gosh. <laughs> I remember, and then I've, I, I'll tell you another story is I've seen, like, guys come in, and they are... I've seen a, I saw like, one guy come in, and he was on a date with these two lovely, lovely women um, who he just met. Uh, and <laughs> and um, and uh, these lovely persons had had no clue what they were in for or expecting, uh, because they, like they had one goal, like they were, they had a very particular goal, and you know he wanted to have an experience and then maybe get to that goal, um, <laughs> and. <laughs> And it was just, it was just so like, just dr- like trying to do fine dining service, and like 
realizing that because the dirty little secret is that there's a game that we're playing like hey i'm gonna do this thing and you have to kind of play along it's like it's a suspension of disbelief and you're like oh okay we're in this together but you have to kind of like play along with me and when no, when they opt out of that and you're like I still have to do this thing, though. <laughs> I still have to, like, I can't, like, change my service. <laughs> yeah. You're like, just give me the wine. You're like, well, I'm still going to tell you about it. I still got to yeah. do the thing. Yeah. And so that was happening. Uh, and it was funny. Cause Thanks I, for playing along with me that night, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But I remember, like, where they were sitting. And I still remember where they were sitting in the dining room. Like, coming out of the kitchen, they were on the right side, like, three tables up. It was hilarious. And we're like, <laughs> everybody's walking by. And, like, they are also like the way we're sitting at the table, right? You're standing and and they're sitting, and so you like you have an above view, and it was like, hey, I'm trying to talk to you, and you look great, and you look you like you have. I'm trying to like tiptoe. You look amazing, and I feel like you dress for a different occasion, and I want to talk to you as a human being. But you don't want to be here as a human being and talking to me and enjoy the service, yeah. but I still got to do the thing. Yeah. And it was just like, and like, oh man, it was great. It was great because it was hilarious. And it makes the day go by <laughs> so much faster. Like, <laughs> service is so much more fun because now you're doing the thing and then you get to go back, what happened now? What happened now? Yes. And we had like, what is it, 12 courses to yeah. like do this? Like, we got 12 courses. Like, and we're like, please don't do supplements. Like, no, like <laughs> I can't handle it. We, we want to get you in and out. And like, I'm just going in, dropping food. And like, I'm like, this is hilarious were they enjoying it do you think oh i mean i think they had a blast i i mean i don't think it mattered they were drinking and they had food and like i like one of them stopped eating halfway through because like they got full and it was like it was like this is just yeah oh man it was that's pretty funny it was hilarious (laughs) and it was like it was you know i'm a kid and i'm trying to like understand and navigate everything but it it was Absolutely great. So that's that's one of the stories. I was like, yeah, he he know he knew what this place was. The two ladies he brought definitely had no clue, and um and did not actually care about about it. So then, is that are there notes on that meal for the next time that guy comes in? Yeah, I mean, I can imagine what the notes were. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but it was and the other thing too is like. Like yeah, I can make I can make assumptions about like what was happening, what was going on, and I think the 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 thing that you realize and that you come in contact with is like, hey, no matter what the environment is, is like you still have to approach it with a level of like humanity. It's like okay, well, mm-hmm. this is the deal. So how do we do everything we want to do, but still like not uh, other anyone here, right? Yeah, like. For sure. Yeah, you like, want everyone to have a great experience. Yeah. yeah, and and you don't want them to feel like yeah, and you don't want them to like you don't you like I want to center them here and like have them enjoy this meal and whatever they desire, whatever the, the goal of this, I want them to get to their goal. But also, I want to be able to be mindful that hey, like three feet to your left and three feet to your right are two other tables who have different goals. Like yeah. mm-hmm. each. Those other two tables have their own different goals. And I need to be able to, like, joke, laugh, communicate, move with this table in concert with the other 
tables around it and concert with the entire space, but also like make it feel like this is a singular experience that is very specific for them. And so that was probably one of the most eye-opening moments um, and more fun moments. Uh, but yeah, it was yeah, memorable. I get, yes, I don't forget it at all. It was like, <laughs> I was like, wow, I didn't know this. Like, this is great. And I've probably been in Chicago at that time, like three years. So like, I'm kind of new to the city. Like, it's, it's hilarious. So, four right, years. Well, we cut you off. You're about to give... You oh know, yeah, an um, Danny, so Danny is the industry yeah. insider. Yeah, so I think like, <clears throat> I think we as an industry are operating, we're hustling backwards. We spend so much time like it's it's easy and it's lazy when it comes to like the way we do our wine list and menu development. Like we develop our wine list and our menus so that we can sell the same thing over and over again. But then you. Like, now we pigeonhole ourselves, and now we can only sell, you know, Napa Cab and California Shard. And, like, it's changed a lot. There's been some growth. But, like, I don't understand what is the goal, what is the value in, like, homogenizing. Yeah, just giving people what they want. Yeah, because it's like, and the, the crazy thing about it is, like, hey, guess what? The restaurant is the most captive audience. What are they going to do? They're, they're going to yeah. not drink? Yeah, they're already there. They're going to drink some They're going to drink. Yeah. So, like, hey, be better. Like, yeah, I don't understand why we don't want to be better. And I think it's part of it is, like, it's hard to invest in people. Investing in people is very expensive. And our industry is a people industry from a standpoint of the consumer and a standpoint from, like, like not just the customer base, but the people that you're working with, and we all come in with our own things. But it's, it just it's so frustrating to see people, like, capitulate to being mediocre. Yeah, and especially in especially in Chicago, it's like yo, you you don't really have the luxury to be mediocre in Chicago, and like we have a standard. I feel like we have a standard. Like yo, like the the. Oh, I almost cussed. <laughs> oh, you can say whatever. <laughs> like, the Italian sausage stand on the corner of the street, like, that everybody goes to after the club is fucking banging. Like, yeah, yeah. like that is that is the floor, right? And it's fire. And it's yeah. great all the time. And you know what they do is they say, this is our menu, and this is how it comes. And if you don't like it, go somewhere else. Yeah. And it's like, there's enough places that you can find your tribe. There's an, And I think, like, we... We as an industry have oftentimes tried to become like everything to yeah, everyone. Something to everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's like you don't need that. And actually people love you more when you have a real identity. Yeah. And I just that's just the frustrating thing. And I think like with Psalms, Psalms don't wanna and it's I know it's a money game, but like if you're really good, you can find like you can find closeouts. You can find wines that are like undervalued that are creative and you can put them on the menu and you can highlight them as hey we don't have cab we have this and yeah it, it means you know training your server but isn't that kind of your job like it's, yeah for sure it, it is the job and if your server's better at talking about why then they can sell whatever it's like we play the short game but the long game is if i can if i can get my service to be able to communicate at a table in a way that's knowledgeable, has some level of understanding, then I can move them off of this wine into another wine or another style. And then, therefore, it allows me to be able to buy 
anything I want. And now I can go get that deal. Like, the reason why we get deals on, like, you know, Eastern European wines or some of these other wines where the price points is different is because, like, the market's not driving. And the market's not driving it because we're not showing it to them. Like, yeah. we are the people. Like, how do people find out about new wine? Where do they do this? At restaurants. Yeah. I don't, yeah. But at Benny's when they <laughs> offer you a tiny glass. <laughs> right? Like, is it, that's the only place that we're going to show people yeah. new wines? Like, is that the only way, way, is that the only way that the populace is ever going to learn about wine? That's, that's how they're going to do it? So we're not going to use these ready-made places that have budgets and large wine lists where you can try a glass. We're not going to do that. No, no, we don't want to do that. That doesn't make <laughs> sense. You know, what, what we want to do is we want to, we want to just give them the the same thing yeah, over same and over again. Show. It's just it's so annoying, and it's just like it's just it's really frustrating. Um, but also, I like it because then it 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 allows the cream of the crop to rise. You know, what I mean? yeah, it's like, for sure. oh yeah, like this is a dope wine list. Yeah, and like there's even some like bars, like a, a couple bars I've been to is like, oh man, that wine list is kind of dope. Like I can't remember there was this whiskey bar, and like they had like they had like vermentino they had this like really dope um like uh georgian orange wine i was like like i'm used to like you know classic like uh not classic but i'm used to like you know new kids orange wine is like super funky and just like ah like tons of va um and brett and all the things that you hate it's like oh they were it wasn't like this wasn't artisan. This was lazy. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted that function. <laughs> like, oh, like, I like wine that tastes like kombucha. Wait, why not just drink kombucha then? Like, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, but, but, but sitting in si- sitting in the in the, in the whiskey bar and like I was like, cool. I want like I'm gonna do a whiskey, but like I can't drink this all night or I'm gonna pass out. But being able to like have actual options in a bar, like in a place that like like they do burgers and fries. It's like, you know, they got 1,500 whiskeys. I, re- I wish I remember where it was. Mm-hmm. But it was like, it was good. And the wine list was like actually legitimate. And yeah, it was like cool. five wines. And it wasn't expensive. They were like $10 glasses. And they were, I was hammering them. Like, it was great. Yeah, and awesome. so it's like, why can't we do that? And, and you know, it's it, it's a little bit of me soapboxing and, and yelling no, in the wind. But I think it's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I try to embrace that. Wine's intimidating. And I think that people, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard for a guy who doesn't know about wine. Yeah. It's like, I don't know what I'm looking at when I look at a wine list. So we need people to, we need well-trained staff who can, get, who can walk us through. And like you said, be, get me to articulate what I'm looking yeah. for. And if I talk to you like you're a human being, like yeah. if I'm like, hey, what are you in the mood for? What do you like? Or like, and being able to like talk with a person. I think a lot of times we as servers want to talk at people and like, like direct them to one thing or another because we're busy because we're trying to do a lot but it's like it's if you take that moment to you know like there's this it keeps recurring i know i keep saying but if we start to approach people hospitality is about humanity and if we start to approach people from that perspective like we can get so much further and we can mm-hmm. we can make so many inroads it's just it's why i don't like when i'm at a fancy meal <clears throat> or a fixed menu or whatever and it's why i don't like why i'm hearing a i'm not that annoying but it's mostly because i don't know about it and uh, then i feel yeah. like i'm being talked at mm. and it's and i don't like i just don't have the appreciation to put out the money that it, yeah. <laughs> it's going to no, cost to do that i'd much rather just order a cocktail because i know about cocktails i know about spirits but like the wine, like I'm cross-eyed when people are talking to me about the wine and the region, and, the, and I'm like this. I don't have the vernacular to, yeah, to have that resonate. And I think too, like I 
hardly ever talk about region and grapes anymore to people when I'm talking about wine. Because it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, exactly. Like it And I'm never gonna remember. I'm tasting ten different <laughs> wines. I've got fifteen <laughs> courses. Like I'm I if I don't have the printout of the menu when I leave, <laughs> I don't even I'm remember done. what I ate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'll tell you this. So it's funny. They, that it's actually a pretty good lead it is the way I talk about wine and teach wine is I teach style. I don't talk about grapes. I don't talk about region. Because you're not going to know all the regions. You're not going to remember them. And grapes are dime a dozen. Cabernet from California versus Bordeaux, France versus Washington State. All going to taste different. So I tell you this is a cab. Like, you're just going to say, you're not actually gaining any real information. And now I'm just putting you into the line of just cab, cab, cab. Mm-hmm. Like, and there's, again, 300 different grapes in Italy alone. So, like, why would I do that? So... The way I talk about wine is based on style. What is style? You guys, great. Danny's got style. <laughs> Danny has some of the best style. First of all, this shirt. I love yeah. this shirt. <laughs> it's got the leg lamp. Yeah, the leg lamp is awesome. <laughs> Who's making the leg lamp shirt? Yeah, that's we'll awesome. Know, man. <laughs> I'm gonna, it's a custom awesome. checking that tag. Yeah. When you're not looking, Danny. Um, but also oh, style. So like when I talk about style. I do kind of this like simple pyramid, right? So I have a pyramid for whites um, and kind of bubbles, and then I have a pyramid. So it's like white and rose has a pyramid, and then red and orange has its own pyramid. And so the pyramid starts off the same. It's is this wine light, medium, heavy? That's the top of the pyramid. And remember, you're right. So whatever you taste, and it being light, medium, heavy, is your absolute correct expression. And then we talk about is this wine sweet or dry? Like, and I like using these kind of, uh, these poles because you have to choose one or the other, right? You have to lean one direction or the other. Mm-hmm. And then for white wine, I do, is it bright and crisp or rich and creamy? And all the white wine in the world falls somewhere within that. And if I get you to start articulating wine in that space, then now you've started to think through it for yourself, right? And not say, oh, I have to taste this thing. And then if you say, oh, I like... You know, white wine that is medium, uh, dry, and bright. Now, any wine in the world that falls into that category, you can try and you can experience. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like like guess who. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Exactly. It is exactly like that. And the beautiful part about that is now you have, you feel empowered to be like, oh, I like this style. And what, what happens? Then you start drinking, you start asking for this style, asking for this style. And then you'll have, like, you'll be drinking wrong white one day. And then you'll be drinking, you know, like, a white wine from Washington State one day. And then you'll be drinking, like, you know, like, uh, white Rioja the next day. And then you'll start to find yourself drinking these same things over and over. And guess what you've done? You start to kind of back into learning those regions and appellations. And now you can start to ask for those things. But I don't, it's like, this. The saying that like n- no one understands is like how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, which <laughs> I don't understand where that saying comes from. <laughs> like, like, I want to find the etymology of like what does that yeah. come from? Like, like, so Tim's weird. always saying that. <laughs> yeah, <for real. laughs> you got to eat the elephant in the room <laughs> one bite at a time. Eat, eat the pink elephant in the room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Eat the rose elephant in the room. That's what there it is. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so it's like so like. I like to teach wine based on style, like light, medium, heavy, sweet, dry, bright and crisp, rich and creamy. And then for reds, the only thing you change is instead of bright and crisp, rich and creamy, you do juicy, fruity versus earthy. And what we've done, especially with red wines, is parse out the difference between 
sweetness and fruit because you can be dry and have fruit. And then when you start to get people to think about it in that manner, they go, oh, yeah, like cranberries aren't sweet. Like raspberries aren't necessarily sweet. Like the skin of a plum isn't sweet. It's definitely fruity. Mm -hmm. And now... And the fun thing is now that curiosity, that childhood curiosity comes back. Because now you're like, oh, it's a plum. Well, what kind of plum? What yeah, condition what is a plum? About? What yeah. are we talking about? And now you can, like, have fun with it. And you can express yourself, which is freeing. It's the most freeing element of what we do. And, yeah. like, and for me, it's, like, bigger than wine. It's, like, giving you those pieces of yourself back. If I can give you your palate and your curiosity back, like, I've made this world a little bit better. I've had some more fun with it. You feel better about yourself and, you know. That's why, like, oh, I did something good in the world. Yeah, I got them mm-hmm. drunk, and <laughs> they got, they got to say today, I'm right. Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, if nothing else you leave with anything today, leave with the idea, like, I'm right. And just, like, it's just, it's just <laughs> nice to walk around with it. Your shoulders sit different when you do that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Danny. Yes, Tim. Question. Of the Bronca varieties, that all right? It's totally cool with me. They are one of our sponsors after all. Terrific. Okay, the sponsor is Bronca International. That is the company. Yes. Fernet. So what's Fernet then? Fernet is the style of Amaro that they originated in 1845. Okay. So that style, Fernet, is basically a mentholated, punchier, so it's like higher proof and it's a mintier version of Amaro. Okay, I get that. It's a minty punch. Yep, and it has since spawned many imitators. Got it. And those also go by the name Fernet, but they're not Fernet. Bronca. Right. Bronca is the name of the distillery, Fratelli Bronca. So it's Fernet Bronca. I got it. That's all. Okay, can we get back to the show now? Yes, sir. Take yeah, a sip, yeah, take a, a deep breath. I need, a, yeah. I need some time. Woo. <laughs> Remember, whatever you say, you're right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is set up. That was uh, very much like a setup. I've seen a setup before. I've set people up before. That feels very familiar. All right. Let's All right. do it. This is Tim's right. domain. Question one. I don't know. What is your death row <laughs> meal? He knows. He's nodding. <laughs> So I'm pescatarian, so my death row meal would be meat. <laughs> no. <laughs> so good. Um, I think my death row meal would be my great grandmother's uh, greens because she puts like ham in them, um, and she does them in this like she's she's gone. But I rem- so you know I'm not on death row, so we can make all this up. But uh, sure. So she has this cast iron skillet um, that like. My so not my great grandmother, my grandmother. She had this cast iron skillet, and it was part of the will. Like who was gonna mm. get the cast iron skillet? Wow. Like, What's the diameter like of the season? skillet? It's it's probably like it's that big. It's I don't twelve. Know, yeah, I think it's a twelve. And it's like, and like you know, it's only it's just season on season on season on season, yeah. and it's just absolutely beautiful. So she, greens in that. Uh, my dad's blackberry cobbler. Mm. Uh, my mom's sweet potato pie. Uh, and the perfect tuna steak, like medium rare, and that's it. I think I can I can live with just those things. You could die with those things. Okay. <laughs> you could live and die. <laughs> and what are you what are you pairing with that meal? 
everything. Um, <laughs> uh, so I'll tell you, I, I'm gonna. So there's some things. So there's some wives that are no longer with us. Um, so there's this conversion meter from. Um, no, Angry Grouse has a conversion meter that I like. Uh, that there is a. I never had it, so I think I would like have to do uh, like, like. 08 burgundy, like something crazy, or 79 burgundy. You know what? This is going to sound wild. I don't really have unicorn wines. Hmm. Yeah. I don't. Danny, unicorn wine? Not really. I mean, I, I like Radicon. I mean, I like random, yeah. like just random producers that you just. Oh, Klaus. Oh, I got it. Like over time. Klaus Pressinger, Pinoble. Oh my gosh. So, Klaus Pressinger, uh, the story about Pinoble is. Every year, one wine gets designated Pinoble. And what happens is, is there's I think there's eight winemakers. And so they all like make a wine that year, and they taste each other's, and they pick the one wow. that they like the best. So Where they is this coming them. from? And you're in Austria. You're okay. in, uh... Is it Niederstrike? I mean, it's I good. So. Austria's good enough for me. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but the Klaus Pressinger Pinoble, fucking fire. And, uh... And, uh... That's probably my unicorn right there. Yeah, that's the one. Well, you're I don't think Danny's got it. a bottle. <laughs> that's right. There you go. They don't. Yeah, they don't. Because I don't know if they like. I don't know if there's any more in production like that. Because it was the 18. I don't know. Like I don't know if anybody's got any more of that. But yeah. it's like it's not. There's nothing like baller about it. It's just it was great. It's it was awesome a moment wine. of time. And yeah, but Klaus Pressinger Pinoble. Hell yeah. All right. What's your favorite budget wine? Oh. And by budget. What under yeah. twenty bucks? Yeah, under twenty a bottle, sure. Uh, what do I like drinking under twenty bucks? So, Kramer makes this sparkling that's freaking ridiculous. Uh, so it's a, like a Kramer sparkling. It's like fucking fifteen bucks. Uh, what else do I like? I got a couple budget lines. Uh, Kramer's really fire. Huh. I want to find one more because there's one like. I used to be the budget king, so I wanted. To... <laughs> I still am we the can budget also come, king. We can come back. Yeah, yeah, there's like, also, I cheat a little bit because like I love buying wines on closeout. Yeah, um, yeah. So, you so know, like, right, right. <laughs> so it's like, which is the most? So that that 14 that I was just talking about that's in the fridge that was a, that's a 2014. It was under 20 bucks. Oh, nice. Wow. Yeah. So like, I Pretty bought like sweet, yeah. a case of that. So that's why. And so the other reason why I like losing a bottle. Like, it hurts, but it doesn't hurt that bad. But yeah, yeah that you got that eleven more. Yeah, yeah, that's a La Croix Belle. Yeah, that one's twenty fourteen by a white wine, different. And do you have special access to these closeouts, or is this something a sorry pedestrian yeah, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> myself <laughs> have access to? Uh, only you know what? Only if you knew somebody in the industry who yeah. had access. So if like, only I know, knew somebody. Yeah, like you know. Yeah. What I mean? like, you know. <laughs> if only I knew somebody who would, who would just stick his neck out once. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah just you know what I mean. Just like, you know, right? It's just uh, yes, yeah, access to people is yeah. access to yeah, the wine. Right. <laughs> All right, now on the other side of that coin, what's your favorite baller wine? Mm. Like something can like readily available baller wine. Yeah, I guess not a unicorn, but like. Uh, yeah, so like this is kind of baller. I'll give you a couple. So Theopolis produces this Petit Syrah, that's freaking ridiculous. It's not. It's nowhere here, in Chicago, um, and it's a uh, Theopolis Vineyards, a black woman winemaker out of California, and it's like oh like hundred bucks or so, but like 
That one I love. If we're going to go like super crazy, I like old sherry's. Those are fun. I just <laughs> so I was uh, drinking with this guy named Philippe Andre, who you guys probably yeah, know. I know for, yeah, yeah. So he uh, he broke out this '67 uh, port. It was port. The '67 port, '1867 port, and Whoa. that was fire and it was singing still acid everything still there and i was like this is crazy so that was great i can't remember <laughs> oh i have a picture in my phone it was ridiculous that was probably that was like my jam like I, yeah because i like i have again i'm not a love like i don't have favorites i'm not a yeah, favorite guy good, so it's tough yeah. so it's just yeah. the best lace sorry it's no, no, it's all good, yeah <laughs> all right all of them <laughs> wow. what is your favorite hidden gem restaurant Ooh. Okay, okay, okay. It's not hidden gem though. Um, I mean, I love going to Handlebar whenever, just cause of brunch of what it means. Uh, I mean, I really love Parachute. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, I have a very soft spot in my heart for uh Bronzer Winery, but it's not a hidden gem. Um, hidden gem. Um. My kitchen. <laughs> What's your specialty dish? Uh, I'll tell you what I'm really good at. Uh, I am. I'm good at like an ugly omelet. Sure. Like an omelet doesn't have to be attractive. I'm glad you brought that up. Like yo, it needs to be delicious. Does yeah. it do the thing? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. it doesn't matter how, like, I'm. I'm really good at an ugly omelet. I'm also. Uh, <laughs> all right, great story. <laughs> story time. So, um, so it was like. December last year, and uh, we went to we went to uh, Bronzeville Winery, had dinner, hung out, then drank wine until like they closed and the kitchen was closed, and we were still hungry. So not too far from us was like a sharks, and so we ordered sharks, had sharks that night, smashed it, and the only thing no one ate was the fries. So we had like all of these fries, and you can imagine like kind of fast food. Are you familiar with like sharks and like heroes and all those? I've yeah. driven by a million sharks. I've never been in. What's yeah. the order? It's uh so like it's it's like fried fish, fried chicken. So yeah. like whatever you want to do. Um, what I do, do you like get? fried. I do so I'll do. What's pescatarian, man? Fried catfish, yeah. or I'll do um I'll do perch, perch fried catfish. The reason why I like perch is like they're smaller. You can just right. crush them. Um, it's great junk food. So, but. No one ever eats the fries. And so then the next night, we go to this, uh, what is it called? Like, it's 100 black men, so it's like this toy drive or whatever. So we go there, and we have all these fries still at the house, and we come back after that because, you know, like, we got, like, drink tickets, and so we had a night. So we get back out of Uber, and everybody's, like, hungry, starving. I, so I have this walk, and, like, there's, like, some cheese. There's, like, some shrimp in there, like, that's on this defrosted and like then uh, like there's a little bit of like um like broccoli and so i'm like man fuck, i'm just gonna make something so like i put the shrimp in there saute shrimp like and then i toss in the fries and then i toss in cheese toss in broccoli and then i'm just like seasoning like just based on like like i'm just like going with god like whatever seasoning <laughs> feels right right now like you know you got garlic you got salt you got pepper but yeah. then i'm like Hmm, let me throw, like, this is a mesquite. Let me throw some, like, let me throw some, like, dried basil flakes. Like, like it doesn't, like, yeah. it's not, like, fresh basil, but it's something. Like, you just, and I'm just going, I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, like, five of us. So then I make this big walk, and I'm just, you know what I mean? Like, still not 
completely sober. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds sober so far. <laughs> Not completely sober. Yeah. And then, like, at the end, like, I just, like, I, I crack, like, two or three eggs and, like, just put them on top, like, just fry them up real quick. And then, like, all that. And then just, it looks like a bowl of mush, right? And just, we just feed everybody and everybody's like, you brought these fries back to life. <laughs> and it was like, it was great. And it was like, but it's just all the things you need. You got a protein. Yeah. You got the starch, which Derek's we special. all need. And yeah. so, like, it's just that stuff. That's probably, like, my specialty is, like, hey. The resourceful, ugly omelet. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what is here? What can we do? Yeah. Let's just grab stuff. Um, and that, like, comes from, like, being in kitchens and, and uh, college and kitchens. Like, Working in restaurants in college and like being in kitchens and just like watching people like just like oh like there's I did like sometimes you just make like staff yeah, I meal. can make this work yeah, yeah. Like, it's like it is it's I think yeah that's what it is it's being around staff meals yeah. like staff meals will teach you to be like well, you better figure something out this yeah. this stuff <laughs> exactly all right what is your favorite is maybe sharks favorite fast food oh it is well. It depends. Uh, I like, oddly enough, White Castle. Okay. White Castle is my jam. What's the order? Are you taking I a briefcase home? <laughs> yeah, the well, crepe so, case? <laughs> so, like, I can't do the crepe case because I'm a pescatarian, but oh, they, right, have, right, right, right. they have the Impossibles. Oh, my gosh. The little oh. Impossibles. Yes, with cheese, and then I'll do it. I always cheese sticks, so I need two orders of cheese sticks. I'm only going to eat one now. I don't know why I ordered two. The other one's going for the omelet. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> two orders of cheese sticks, and three Impossibles. Two with cheese, one without. Okay, like that's that. my order. Yeah, and then I will, if I if I can make it home, I have my sauces at home, and so it's always it's either uh, everybody does sriracha, but like truffle hot sauce. That truffle hot sauce is mean. oh yeah, what's that, that stuff called? Truff? Truff, truff, yeah. That stuff is mean. It's so good. I'm I've like, never had it. Actually. I don't think I have either. I've seen I the mean, ads. I've seen, yeah, I've seen it. Oh man, it's it's a problem. Though I had it. It was funny. Like, with my business partner, he had it at his house. And I was like, what is this? He's like, you never had this? And I was like, nope. And <laughs> I tasted it, and I was like, this is a problem. It's got to like, be in the pantry yeah. now. Yeah. And this is, like, super expensive hot sauce. I don't know how much actual truffle it's yeah. truffed, but who cares? Like, <laughs> yeah. not, as long yeah. as it has the essence. Yeah, yeah. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. All right. What is, shifting gears, what's your favorite cocktail? Uh, so, I like doing a mezcal Negroni. Okay. Very good. Cool. Yeah. I do too. Easy yeah. enough. Yeah. Yeah. Follow up just... question, Danny. Any unique you twist it. on it that you're interested in? No, I just straightforward. I just straightforward mezcal negroni. Right. Um sometimes. Equal parts. Yeah. Sometimes cool. I like like toss a little more citrus on it. I don't know. I like that brightness with the earthiness going on. But yeah, mezcal negroni is my go to. Also, my girlfriend hates it, so it, <laughs> it's a way for her not to drink my you drink. You can enjoy yeah. your own drink. Yeah, because, you know, you know how that goes. Oh, like, for sure. <laughs> I know, yeah. Every time Shannon orders a bad drink, it ends up in front of me, and she gets my good drink. Yeah, <laughs> yeah of like, course. Carefully yeah. selected. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I thought about this, and you're just like, I was like, I don't. Now, I, now I've, I've learned to, like, reverse order. I will order, like, I'm like, mm. I'm ordering this one. Yeah. And you have that one. Yeah. Steer her towards here. something you're going to like when you get <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> or like your recent Instagram story where you were on vacation and you, you're you like, I know my drink's better. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, she's like, you haven't even tried it yet. I already know. She was like, yep. I was like, I know this. I like, I like, <laughs> and I know what she likes, but it's like, okay, you want to order 
Yeah, that is funny. When yeah, when usually when Shannon's ordering drinks, she's like, "What, what would I like?" And yeah. I, I have a pretty good idea. Yeah, because yeah. it's pretty... usually what I'd like to. <laughs> but she then she'll get, go rogue and order yeah. something weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, uh, what trivia category? What unexpected trivia category would you dominate? Wine is expected. Oh, trivia. Um, probably like. I don't know if it's unexpected. Nineties R and B, uh, lyrics. Uh, pretty good at that. I'm really good at like general useless information. Uh, or like if you'll hear like yeah, it's usually that like I will make a I, like if we're having a conversation, you say a word, I'll turn it into a song because like there's like some whatever <laughs> word you said triggers it. a song that like actually yeah. is, so I don't know what trivia category That's full on dad mode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it's like that like oh that reminds me of this song and that words in the song and like so that's yeah I get a lot of eye rolls from that one like I can't <laughs> help it it's just like it's just, just coming to me yeah. yeah I don't know what am I supposed to do with this like I need to share this gift with the world there you go I let it out <laughs> If you laugh because you're uncomfortable you laughed at least you yeah, know you still got to laugh <laughs> Yeah all right. Uh, to what do you attribute your success? Uh, Other than a golden palate. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say my community. Oh, excuse me. I'm, it wasn't a cry. It was a nasal. <laughs> yeah, okay. It should have been. That would have been perfect, though. Right? Explain the tears. I know, right? Just a single tear. <laughs> yeah. Know, uh, that would have been the perfect time to break up, though. Like the, <laughs> the community and him. I should have. Let's try it again. Hold on. I'm gonna, now I'm going to try to cry. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Oh, man. Uh, so I would say definitely my community. Um, like, like as much of it is as luck as it is, like, the people around me believing in me. And I I remember as a kid, and I realized that, like, a lot of people didn't have this. It's like, I never thought that I wasn't capable of doing something. There was never, like, I don't remember as a youth, like, being like, oh, I probably can't pull that off. I probably can't make that happen like I don't remember that and it's not like not remembering failure but it just failure was never the like the end thing like it never wound up in just failure it was like Mm -hmm. oh no we found another way or we learned a lesson and so like I think that has helped with my intestinal fortitude because as you guys know in this industry it's all about that right like I'm in the middle of like raising money right now and like you have to get comfortable with the nose and you have to have that vision and the mm-hmm. only way you can have that vision is to be able to say I'm right a lot very early on yeah. and now it's ingrained and now you're comfortable you're more comfortable with criticism and you're more comfortable with direction and so I think that that's been super helpful I've been absolutely fortunate like I've I've lived a really really fortunate life um in that way and then like intestinal fortitude and and like successes, easy successes early on as a child because like I was pushed and given love, and so like it's crazy how much like just a little bit of love can help you. Um, and so yeah, so that that's that's the part where I was supposed to cry. Damn it, <laughs> no, he's crying. He's crying. Yeah, he's crying. Yeah, he's crying. Yeah, he's crying. Very hard, in fact. Yeah. Oh my gosh, tons of tears. All right, pull it back. Too yeah. many tears. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, what is something that bars or restaurants do? That might annoy you. I feel like you've got some good answers yeah. here. Oh, bars and restaurants do that might annoy you. Um, Not taking chances on a wine list. I mean, we know that one. Yeah, yeah. I think bar. I think yeah. I think like 
mediocrity, like where like taking shortcuts where you don't have to take a shortcut, that just in general annoys me. I'll say this. Whenever I walk into a restaurant or bar, I can't turn it off. So I'm looking at everything. Yeah. And I think it's when I hate like when servers are like don't think of it as a dance and they're like just like hanging out and leaning or like being too casual in a yeah. place. Like that annoys me. Especially like if it's like, hey yo dog, like you you can get away with it when you're really good because now it's part of the ethos of like, hey, I'm on top of everything and so now I can be like more chill. Mm-hmm. Like if you're not on top of it, don't like you need to be hustling. And especially like coming from like being in Next and Elizabeth where it's like you're always hustling. You're always hustling. I'm trying to think I gotta think about the last bar restaurant I was at that annoyed me. Um I usually don't go to those. Yeah, you've never <laughs> been to Scoffla. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Tim. Yeah. No, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> that was a great one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, what do I hate about Scoffla? Um no, <laughs> okay. that's, that's the new question. <laughs> Just trying to tell me all the things around. What do you hate about the ownership? Yeah, what do we, yeah. what do we need to improve about it? Oh man, that's yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's funny. Oh um, yeah, I think, I think that I think like when when the service staff isn't like mindful of what's going on, like when they're not there for you and they're there for them, and you can feel it, you can feel that energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, on the flip side, is I get annoyed when it's so like, everything feels so sterile. Yeah, like, I hate that feeling of like walking into a place and it feels sterile because it's like. Is that an interior design thing or beyond that, like the communication staff? I think it's staff communication. I think it's interior design piece. I think it's like, like there's got to be a, again, I, I keep going back to this dance. Like there's got to be a flow. And if everything feels like very rigid, then you don't yeah. really get a flow. And I, I don't know how yeah, to. Yeah, no soul. Yeah, right? And there's like, it's not it's really. Intangible. A, yeah. You, like there's a tactile feel. Like you can taste it in the air. Like, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Like. It's like, I don't want to, this shouldn't feel like a hospital. You yeah, know what I mean? Sure. It should feel warm. And if mm-hmm. there's no warmth, whether it be in the space, like in this space, like it still feels warm, like wood, this wood feels warm, but there's a lot of metal in here and it still feels warm. And so like, it's not a singular thing that you can put on it, which is, it's tough. But I think it takes seasoned eyes uh, and it, it takes, you have to lead with something, you have to. I think a lot of times you can see spaces that don't, ha- like you said, have a solo that like, don't lead, like allow for emotion to, to resonate in the space. I always think about this where like, like raising boys is a lot of times like we don't allow boys to like feel, and it's like oh, like we think of it as a negative, but in, in essence, like it actually makes you stronger. It actually creates a tighter bond. By being able to recognize those feelings and then being able to say, okay, now how are we going to use these? How are we going to maximize this? And I think a lot of restaurants don't think about the emotion, the feeling of a space of when their customers are walking in. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Another 45. No, I love that. That was a good yeah, one. Same. I like that. All right. And then here's our last question. What is the best thing about Chicago's dining scene? Chicago's the perfect size. Like, it's, it's a couple things. It's the perfect size. It's in the perfect place. It is the chip on the shoulder. It is, it's not so big that you can't see and touch everybody. But it's not so small that everyone's on top of each other. You can eat, you can go out and eat everywhere and still not eat everywhere. 
um, still has distinct neighborhood feels and flavors. It has a lot of hidden talent that is untapped. It's not overly saturated. Everyone, I mean, everyone's not doing the same thing. You, you get a lot of that period, like it's going to happen a little bit, but to the extent with Chicago, it doesn't. And people say, like, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. No, no, if you can make it in Chicago, you can make it anywhere. Because we can go as fast as New York needs to go. But also we can, we're more human than they are, in my opinion. And, like, we we don't, the lights aren't, like, we don't care about the lights. Whereas, like, if you're out on the coast, sometimes it feels like, like, it's self-important. And I, yeah. I think we have that, like, level head. It's like, you know, I am who I am. Don't play with me. I Like, I'm the shit. But also, like, I can be the shit and recognize that you can be the shit, too. And I think, yeah. like, that can happen in Chicago. I don't think that you get that feel and that texture uh, anywhere else. Yeah, it's well uh, said. So, yeah. It might be time to retire that question. That's yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. a perfect answer. That's really good. Yeah, really good. And a great no 10. <laughs> Thanks so much. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. It was a pleasure. And that concludes our conversation with Derek Westbrook. Thanks for listening. And if you're so inclined, please drop us a positive review on uh, Spotify. Still requesting positive reviews only. We are currently accepting positive, unique reviews. Um, But anyway, you can also check us out on Instagram at JoinersPod for exclusive content, reels, throwback photos, and even cocktails from uh, our one and only Danny Shapiro. Please don't forget that this episode was produced by Matt Haddock, music by Captain Cuts and our video reels done by the one and only Goosemeister, Joe Guzzo III. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.